cinematography has a universal technical language. And when you have confidence in the gear, there's an undeniable credibility where it's like, I know what I'm talking about and I have confidence in how to accomplish things. And just having that confidence diminishes any uncertainties because of my age. Hey everyone, welcome to Call Sheet, a podcast about film production and the boots on the ground work of below the line crew. If you work in physical production in any department, this show is for you. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey folks, excited to be back with you. Once again, we are your hosts, Bryce Sirier and Kiku Terasaki. Hey there, Kiku. Hi, Bryce. So today on the show, we're going to be talking about how to make your way as a young DP. Like all creative fields, you have to develop a strategy to hone your craft, build a body of work, and find representation that's right for your career goals. And then you need the critical soft skills of establishing relationships and learning to adapt and perform in various high-pressure situations. Our fabulous guest today, Tahila De Castro, has learned how to navigate that often intimidating path. While she was still an undergraduate, Tahila got awards and recognition from the TV Academy, the Directors Guild, and Sundance Ignite. At 24, she was already repped by WME and has shot across all formats, from commercials and music videos to web series, narrative shorts, and her first feature, which played at Slamdance this year. She's also shot commercials for big brands like Nike, Adidas, Amazon, Spotify, and GQ. So we're really excited to hear how she did it. Welcome, Tahila. Hi, thanks for having me. So Tahila, before you started DPing, you came up through the electric department, is that right? Mm-hmm. So let's start there. Can you talk about that path, kind of cutting your teeth as an electric and a gaffer and, and how that influences your work now as a DP? Absolutely. Um, I think that's kind of what's helped define my style as a cinematographer. You know, it's great to have a camera and point it, but I think how I can add my personality to it is how I shape the light and, you know, express a certain feeling or emotion towards a character by doing so. And I'm definitely more sensitive to how I engage with my crew. And I think that is definitely what has helped really push my career forward. You know, I'm, I have a better understanding of how long this type of lighting setup actually takes. I understand the expectations of what I'm asking my crew to do. It just leads to a more honest way of approaching challenges when I have an understanding of what my crew is going through. So, you know, did you have what you think was a big break or a key career moment? I think a key moment for me was making that jump from being a gaffer or electrician to solely being a DP. it was definitely intimidating because there was financial stability with crewing. Um, there was more positions to fill in that sense. And I grew up with a family that, you know, wants to have financial stability. So I kind of had that ingrained in the end. It was, it was pretty hard to let go, but I actually, you know, I had a conversation with my mom who doesn't fully understand the film industry. No, no one in my family, you know, is in film. So it takes a quite a bit of explaining. And she kind of ultimately just kept asking me, like, why are you setting up lights? Isn't that's not what you wanted to do, right? And I was like, Yeah, mom, but I'm making money. Like that's how I have to, you know, make a living. She's like, but you know, 
you want to do something else? And it was such a simple question that for some reason I couldn't wrap my head around, but it made me question why am I doing something that I really don't want to do? I'm the only one holding myself back, you know? And, and so I kind of just took it upon myself to make things. I had enough savings from, you know, working as an electrician where I kind of allocated to like, this is the fund where I can rent a camera with. And I would cram a bunch of little projects in a weekend and have my, you know, friends who wanted to direct specs and just do fun things. And the deal was like, let me be creative and you have a spec under your belt. And it was a lot of me just reaching out to directors, um, creatives, even like dancers and asking them like, what can we do to make something that's presentable at a caliber that we want to get work at? That's fantastic. How did you get in front of people? I was aggressive. <laughs> I, I reached out and um, I, you know, Instagram was a huge source of getting visibility. It's interesting, the power of social media that it has nowadays. It's people, you know, find me on Instagram and that's how I get work. It's, it's like the LinkedIn for DPs. <laughs> yeah. It's a vis- Cause it's a visual platform, right? You communicate yeah. through visuals. And so this is a platform that allows you to showcase visuals. So that makes sense. My question is, I think this is always a hard one that over the years I've tried to advise people mm-hmm. about, you know, at what point do you decide I'm going to do this for free versus this I have to be paid for. Yeah, I mean, I'll be completely transparent where it was several months of me not making money. Um, And that's, you know, I I wish it was different. Um, You know, to a certain extent, I want to say it was a, a mix of hard work and luck where I did so many free things and just picked three or four of my best work from those, you know, 50 passion projects that I did and was very, very adamant about curating a certain look that looked expensive. But yeah, I think I just, I was just nonstop about the amount of work I was working. And I didn't always have to show it, you know what I mean? But the, the number of projects that I did kind of outweighed, you know, not making money if that makes sense. For sure. That's what you have to do is like build up a war chest and then go for it. Yeah. How did that lead to getting representation? So I think it was kind of my body of work stepped in at the right time where budgets are getting smaller because there's a larger breadth of content being made. So that means that agencies are more aware that there is a bracket that is forming for a younger, low, quote unquote, low budget world of work. Um, and so they, they don't necessarily want to miss out on that. And so a coordinator um, at WME was kind of assigned the project to go scout for younger below the line positions. And she had spoken to a number of production companies. And it just so happened that of the numerous companies that she talked to, two of them said my name. And so she met with the EPs at the production company, kind of gauged my personality and how I work on set because, you know, beyond the work, they have to see if, you know, that I'm a decent human being. So that's, that's kind of how I got screened. And 
I kind of got a cold call email and I didn't want to get my hopes up because it felt kind of strange. And to be honest, I literally was thinking, this is way too early. This is insane. Um, I'm not even like union. I, I don't have, you know, at the time I hadn't worked for Nike or Adidas. I just had spec work for Adidas and Nike. I just had spec work for fragrance lines, you know, and um, it's funny when I met with them in person, they were the most reactive to my spec work because, you know, I had the most creative space when I did those spec work. And so they kind of saw that it felt different. You know, it, it didn't fit a certain commercial mo- you know, mold that they are used to seeing. Just to clarify, by the time you got this call from WME, had you done any paid work as a DP yet or just the spec work? I was definitely getting paid work. It was with a lot of younger production companies that were started by younger producers because, again, they had to fill that need for all the brands and different companies that wanted to make content for not just television, but on Instagram, on streaming services, you know, they don't necessarily have that much money allocated for those as compared to what is going to be nationally televised. And so I just fell into the circle of a younger group of ambitious producers and directors that form these production companies. And that kind of helped my credibility to different agencies with, you know, yeah, she's self-motivated, but she repeatedly works for these same companies, which kind of says something. I think it's so great what your story illustrates. I just want to point it out for our listeners. It's that tightrope that all of us freelancers have to experience, right? Of, of taking as much paid work as you can while, while also making sure to invest time and resources into building your reel and, and showcasing your voice. And I, I think it's so awesome that, that when that call came for you, Tehila, the work that stood out the most to the agents at, at WME was your spec work. Obviously, the investment paid off, right? Yeah. Um, it was a stepping stone. And I think a lot of younger cinematographers can kind of see that as something that they can work towards is making specs that, you know, because it, it definitely benefits cinematographers more so than directors sometimes because it's all visual. Sure, you know, the brand wasn't fully associated with it, but it showed your capability to shoot something at a certain caliber or something that can emulate their style. That's great. Could you talk a little, Tahila, about the choice to sign with WME, one of the big four agencies, as opposed to a boutique agency? What were the pros and cons? And how has your involvement with that size of an agency influenced your career in the year since? It was definitely something that I had to grapple with. I wanted to be judicious about my decision of where I ended up um, because. I am so young um, that I didn't want to get pushed a certain way um, because I understand that I I have plenty of time to develop my career. And uh, the last thing I wanted was to be influenced in a certain way that would kind of withhold my style and my specific voice. And I just had to have a very transparent conversation with WME where I told them that it was important to me to keep growing up with the people I grew up with. And that's something I can't let go. Um, The person that I did 20 specs with for free, I would happily do with again, because that spec work is what got me recognized by them. And it's, 
you know, I, I want to kind of pay my dues in the sense that these people, I, I need to lift them up too with me. And that's an important thing that I learned as a crew member transitioning into DP where you don't, you shouldn't forget the people that kind of helped bring you up or teach you or, you know, raise you. And WME had no problem with it. They were actually the only agency that was pretty receptive to that. And that's what made me sign with them. So. Many DPs are represented by different agencies, according to whether it's commercials versus scripted narrative. You have two sets of agents, both at WME. Why did you elect to have them both at that agency or go elsewhere? It sounds like you were approached by other talent agencies. Um, I have one agent for music videos and commercials, and then I have another agent for features and television. Um, They work in completely different spheres. um, And it's important to me to have to, to make sure that they're both progressing simultaneously, not one area is lacking and then the other, because my goal ultimately is to end up in narrative, but I know I'm in no rush to. I want to develop that I were working in music videos and commercials. And that's kind of my sphere right now. That's, that's where I'm getting the most work. Um, and so kind of in the back of my head, Allison, who's my feature agent is kind of planting seeds with different producers saying that she's done an indie feature. If you have any features that you think that, you know, you're looking for a younger DP or need someone, you know, who's flexible with working with a low budget. Um, and has experience doing that well um, and is planting that seed while I'm simultaneously booking a commercial. That's awesome. Since you hit on the differences between high budget, low budget, and your ability to sort of flex between both, um, you know, kind of giving you that advantage as a young, talented DP, how do you adapt between large crew, big budget projects and the lower budget skeleton crew type, you know, what are the differences between both and how do you try to adapt your approach? Well, my approach comes from my upbringing. I was simultaneously, you know, working as an electrician on set and then shooting things in school. Um, So I was used to seeing a bigger commercial as an electrician. And then I would go on a film school set and have $50 for the weekend to figure out a solution. So I, you know, got my training to be resourceful from seeing both sides of it. Um, and that's why I think it's important for people to, you know, who, who want a DP to crew and have experience crewing because you, it's really eye opening when, you know, you're, for example, my first feature, I literally had three lights the whole time. And that's, that's crazy to me because I'll be on a commercial for example, like Kellogg's and I can have as many lights as I want, no question. But it's the matter of finding the balance of what do you really need and what is just going to satisfy your need for toys, you know? And I'm guilty of that too. It's like, what's the new thing I can try? Because you're so used to being in a space of experimenting, um, which I think is great, but it's definitely a reality check when you see that you can do things with, you know, not a crew of 20 people and a massive truck. You know? I think that lots of different department heads uh, sort of face this, right? It's this question of big fish, little pond versus little fish in a big pond. And I think we all sort of, as we're making our way in our career, do a little bit of both. But 
oftentimes you might find yourself in a situation where, you know, you're a very young department head leading crews that are twice your age. What advice would you give to young department heads in order to lead well, adapt well, to collaborate in the most effective way? Cinematography is special in the sense that it has a universal technical language. It doesn't cater to an age or gender or anything. And when you have confidence in the gear that you're using, there's an undeniable thing there where your crew just has to respect you. you you're calling the shots, you're doing your job. And that is how I had to approach it with, you know, stepping on bigger commercials. And I get the funny look where it's like, whoa, she's really young. And it, it's an experience that I can't always, you know, there's no right answer to how to navigate to every single job that I experience. Cause like, I feel like every job I do, I encounter a kind of hesitation with my age. Um, not necessarily in the hiring process, but when they first actually see me, um, because, you know, we do phone calls and that kind of proves my point where it's like, I know what I'm talking about and I have confidence in how to accomplish things because I spent the time and those years watching other DPs do it as a crew member. And so I know the vernacular that I should be using um, when talking to a director versus a producer. And just having that confidence kind of diminishes any, you know, uncertainties that a crew member has for me because of my age. And I've had a lot of older gaffers and key grips and most of the jobs that I do with older crew members when I go out of state to work. And at the end of the day, it's kind of a weird feeling because they're kind of just like patting me on the back sometimes. It's like, whoa, I didn't know that you knew all that. And I kind of see it as a positive thing where it's, I'm setting an example for them. There are a lot of us out there who know what we are doing. And if you give us the chance to kind of call the shots and do it well and in confidence, you know, I think the stereotype of younger people not knowing exactly what they're doing will turn another way. Honestly, I think what you're saying is that you gained the confidence and, and outright admiration of older men who are probably also a lot bigger than you were. What are you, 5'2"? I'm 5'4", but yeah, really short. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you look very young. And I sort of feel that that issue that you're calling age is probably more an issue for young women uh, in what has traditionally been a male-dominated part of the craft. Yeah. You know, you definitely sense that it feels foreign to them. I, I'm fortunate enough that I haven't had an experience where I was like greatly disrespected by a crew member that was older or a man trying to tell me how to do things. Um, but it it did come from the the confidence of the gear and being quick to think. And I'm very sensitive and understand nuances like where subtle things they do and say, I'll pick up on that and reiterate it the second time that I see it happening or seeing how it's set up. Um, and they they pick up on the things that I pick up from, from them. And maybe that's something, you know, that I have experience from, from being a woman is I'm more detail oriented in that sense where I'll pick up little things and actions. Um, so, yeah. So on that, you know, how do you handle uh, leading your team, managing your team, dealing with conflict? I 
always approach things with an open mind. I want to set something up a certain way, but I leave it open to a key crew members. Like if you have a different solution that you think is better and more efficient, more cost efficient in that sense too, let me know. I'm not going to try and be that DP that says it all, knows it all. I'll also ask when we're building a list for gear, what is something new that you want to try? Can it fit in you know, the project that we're doing? Does it align with what the expectations are for the commercial? And if it's going to make us efficient, let me, let me take the chance and kind of fight for it or give that argument with, you know, a director of producers, like, let's try this because X, Y, and Z. I think that's the most effective way of leading is making sure that they're heard and also have a voice in terms of giving their two cents about how to approach a problem or solution. When it comes to challenges, I always tell my crews, like, if you have a problem, just make sure that you explain it to me because avoiding conflict just leads to more conflict. And it, it's stacking the problems up where it, it makes an uncomfortable work situation. There's, you know, tensions are high when things are being rushed and anything I can do to alleviate tensions during those moments, that is my responsibility as a department head. So I, my crew knows that I, I don't like it when there's, you know, they're keeping it all to themselves and like, oh, we shouldn't tell her because she's busy. Like, I'm never busy for things like conflict because we can't do our jobs if you're worrying about something else. Um, I do try my best to respect the order of positions and make sure that the communication is strung along properly. Sometimes it's like being a politician and balancing the politics of it all, but just reassuring my crew that you, you have the right to say what you want out of something. And it's my job to also listen and act upon it. Well said. What are key attributes that you look for when hiring in your department? Adaptability is definitely something that's super important to me because I fluctuate with the different types of jobs that I do. I'll do a passion project one week and then the next week I'll do a bigger commercial. And the last thing I want is a crew member to complain that they're not getting this type of craft services or, you know, lunch is two minutes late on this passion project. And having that understanding the difference between the two that you can't have the same expectations for every single job. It's a dangerous mindset to get into because our, our industry is project-based and it will always change project to project and it leads to more conflict you know with the crew when I'm doing a lower budget job and they, they're, they're not used to getting the things that they do. And so sometimes when I am on those smaller jobs I kind of leave it up to the producers to hire sometimes when they want to give rates you know that are minimum wage and none of my crew wants to do it I'll, I'll be transparent with the producers like i need your help who do you think would want to and be willing to um work with me on this and that's a conversation that i had to have with some of my crew members where it's like i don't do this for money um i don't i'm not a dp for money i i genuinely love what i do i love lighting and the platform to create visuals the way that we do and you know I won't always take that job that'll give you the, the union day rate that you want you know and so it, it's being transparent with the fluctuations of the different jobs that I select to do 
I would say, though, it's a tough situation mm-hmm. because from their point of view, they rely upon and look to you for work. That right. is because you know, they know that you will hire them. So they expect you to fight for them as well uh, for their rate and all of that. I, I think, on the other hand, that they should understand you ask them to work on passion projects, but then you also get the best you can for them on a bigger budget, right? So right. then, yeah. you know, you have, you build loyalty. Do you, do you feel that you have, over time, been able to build loyalty within your team? Yeah, absolutely. We'll work on two really big commercials, and then we'll hop on a low-budget thing. And then next time, I, I kind of keep it in my head where it's like, you helped me out on this. Let me get you on the next big job. And that goes back to what I was saying, where it's like you're lifting the people you grew up with. And that's important, not only with the directors and producers, but also your crew. And when I'm transparent to my crew about that mindset, I think the ones who stick around are the ones that I'm loyal to. Yeah, I cannot tell you how often I've heard people in Grip and Electric feel disappointed because the DP that they saw themselves as helping elevate left them behind and forgot about them. Yeah. There is loyalty both ways. And I admire you for figuring that out early. Thank you. Tahila, could you talk a little about your relationships with production? Producers, production managers, you you talk to a producer differently than you would, you know, a director. So what are the tips and best practices that you've learned in your career so far when establishing a healthy relationship with production? Organization. Being as organized and specific as possible and having everything written out in email always helps. Those are such simple things, but can get easily brushed under the rug when you're rushed or need to get gear in time or, you know, I'm very organized. I make crazy spreadsheets that can be easily understandable when I send out lists to, you know, production managers. And I have to be open and understanding what their expectations are of me and what they want to accomplish with, you know, the budget the time. I have to pick and choose my battles, you know what I mean? They're working with what they got too. And a lot of, you know, crew members forget that, especially you start to realize that when you're a DP too, is like producers really, they can only do so much when they're given X amount of money, you know, and they're trying to stretch it. And it's your job to kind of allocate the money within your department the best that you can while making all parties happy. Um, And so I, I always try to find a middle ground with like, what's, you know, what are decent crew rates? I'll, you know, lose one or two lights here to make sure that I can get an extra position on my team so that we can work faster because we only have a certain amount of time at this location. Um, So it's finding that balance and that open conversation that I can have with the production team. What about your directors? Um, What is your ideal relationship? I want to make sure that I have as much planning with them in pre-production as possible. Um, The set runs better when the director and I have a common understanding of what we want. And then it's just us picking out the details on the day because I don't want to be wasting people's time when I'm sitting there figuring out how to cover, you know, a scene or shoot a product like that. That's something that could have been figured out earlier on. Um, so just making sure that all those conversations have already been had prior to the shoot so that 
I can focus on delegating tasks to my crew and they can, you know, engage with the actors more, which is really important because that's, you know, that's what we're going to be seeing ultimately is their emotion and their response to what the director tells them. So it's important to give them the time and space. So if I can figure out all the technical things and the visual components of the project with the director beforehand, it leads to a better relationship. What would you say you love most about the job? I love film because it's an area where risk-taking is encouraged and praised. And that's not always something that you can do in other industries. The number of you know, smaller projects that I've done where I took so many chances and people recognize that and it, it wasn't seen as a negative thing is something that I, that really fulfills me as a creative person. Um, you know, beyond lighting and composition, those are things that I absolutely love, but, you know, I also have the responsibility of showcasing other artists' work, like the production designer, the location managers, like, I get to choose how I showcase the work that they put into the project. And I think that's such an honor to be able to, you know, work alongside my peers and lift up their work in that sense. So beautiful. That really gets at the heart of what we want this podcast to be, which is a celebration of all departments working together. You know, we all know filmmaking is the ultimate collaborative art form. And I think you just express that so beautifully. So thanks for saying that. Thanks. So we've reached the point on the show where it's time for our Abby Singer segment. Tahila, our guests can tell a story or share some kind of lesson learned. Do you have anything that you'd like to share with us today? Yeah. Um, back when I was gaffing, I had to be as resourceful as possible sometimes. And there was a time where a DP asked for a light to be shaped a certain way. And so we had a sterile LED tube, or I'm sorry, it was Quasar. And so I had to find a way to kind of shape the light with what I had. And craft services passed by with a bunch of empty disposable aluminum trays. And so I asked if I could take a few of them. And I put the tube in the tray, put diffusion on top of it. And then it was a mobile light that could be used. And I didn't have to set up a bunch of flags or anything. It was something that could be held by one person and flexible with the, sh- the shot that you know the DP wanted to accomplish. And I used that light on my feature. So I had to get inventive. We could afford at least a tube. I was like, hey, this worked for me. And, you know, this is indie filmmaking. So let's do it again. And it taught me the lesson of being resourceful and using what you have. You don't need to have all the fancy things to get a shot accomplished. Fantastic. That's so great. As we close out, Tahila, is there any other general advice that you'd give to other up-and-coming DPs to help establish their career? As you progress with, you know, your career, I think it's important to make sure that you hold true to the voice that you want to express as a DP. You know, there's so much talent out there, but what ultimately gets you the job is the style of how you showcase your work. And projects, you know, vary in so many different ways that you want to bring something special to the table. So it's making sure that, you know, you find the balance of like, yes, work as much as you can, do as many projects as you want, but leaving the door open for picking those projects that will help you curate your voice and aesthetic. 
Tahilo, this has been such an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for your time and for offering all your stories and insights. It's been amazing. Of course. Thanks for having me. Folks, don't miss out. For our bonus segment today, we're going to talk to Tahila about the landscape and branded content for young filmmakers. Also, how to handle rejections when you don't get the job and what Tahila looks for when selecting her mentors. You can get this segment and others just like it on our website, callsheetshow.com slash bonus. As you know, all our bonus segments are pay what you can. It's not a subscription, just an a la carte model. That way you can pick whatever topics or stories sound most interesting to you. And it's a way that you, our listeners, can choose to support us in the continued production of the podcast. You'll get extra stories and insights from our world-class guests, just like Tahila, to help you become better filmmakers. We sincerely appreciate any contributions you can make. Thanks for being a listener, for being part of our call sheet community, and we look forward to talking to y'all again real soon. And that's Taillights on another episode of Call Sheet. This show is brought to you by Elgin Entertainment. It is produced and hosted by Kiku Terasaki and me, Bryce Sirier, with support from our associate producer, Nathaniel Duber. I'm also the editor of the show, and our outro music is by Robert Mai. Our guest today was Tahila DeCastro. We talked about building a career as a director of photography and how to lead as a young department head. Thanks again, listeners, for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode and keep coming back for more. Now, if you'd be so kind, please share the show with a friend or a colleague and take just one minute to leave us a review in whatever podcast app you use. We really appreciate your feedback and support. It helps us grow the show and improve the way that we can serve you. On that note, if you want to suggest a topic that you'd like to hear discussed in a future episode, please send it in. You can email us at callsheetpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at callsheetshow. You should also check out our website for the latest content and news, callsheetshow.com. There are links to all of that and more in this episode's show notes, so be sure to check those out. Remember to stay tuned for new episodes of Call Sheet every Thursday morning, and in the meantime, good luck and go make it happen.